Hey there, friends. It is Christmas week, so on behalf of me, my wife, my family, and the entire Bible in Life team, let me say to you, Merry Christmas. You know, 2020 has been such a crazy year, but God is still good and God is still faithful. Jesus is still King, and that's what we remember at this time of year. So Merry Christmas to you. May be a blessed season for you and your family. And on today's episode, we are going to bring to culmination the long story of waiting that we've been tracing over the last few episodes. But before we get to that, I would like to invite you to consider giving a year-in donation to the Bible and Life Ministry. This ministry is made possible by the generosity of people just like you, and thank you to each and every one of you who give. There are listeners in Nigeria and South Africa and Singapore and Canada and Japan and the UK and in places that I didn't even know existed. There are listeners to this ministry. And in addition to this weekly podcast, we're creating the listener's commentary on the New Testament, an entire audio commentary on the New Testament, which if you haven't checked that out, you can check that out. Same place you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to them, or at thelistenerscommentary.com. That's a massive project that's completely crowdfunded. And the same thing, we have listeners all around the world to that. So if you have been encouraged or impacted in some way by the Bible and Life Ministry, if you have the financial resources, would you give a special year-end gift so that this ministry could continue to produce Bible teaching content for people uh, all over the world? I will put a link down in the notes below to World Family Mission. That is my partner organization through whom all gifts are received, and all gifts given there are tax-deductible. All right, we have been tracing this theme of waiting, waiting on God through the long story of Scripture with all its unexpected twists and turns, with its moments of jubilation and its uh, depths of despair, and tracing how God and His sovereignty is sometimes what we would consider slow, how God and His sovereignty does things that are unexpected, and this waiting on God and watching God fulfill his great promise to reverse the curse of sin and death and how uh, there are moments of just agonizing, what now or where are you, Lord, in the midst of that? And we left off in our last episode with Herod the Great being appointed by the Romans to be king of the Jews, to be the ruler of Judea on their behalf, and how Herod was this, uh, in some ways, brilliant like builder and uh, powerful ruler, and yet he was also tyrannical and, and maniacal. I mean, like the, the quote about uh, Herod was that it was safer to be his pig than his sister because he had just enough Jewish blood in his veins that he, he may not kill a pig even though he would kill some of his own uh, relatives. And so that's where we left off at this moment. And it's in this moment uh, of waiting when finally, all of a sudden, uh, the story takes a move forward. And since this week is Christmas week, maybe if you have kids at home, maybe you've experienced this. Uh, I remember me as a child, how how just it took forever for Christmas to get there. Maybe you've experienced that with your kids and they just... Uh, you know, when is it going? When is Christmas going to get here? It's taking so long, right? And 
and they're waiting for school to be over and Christmas break to start and the long, long waiting for Christmas to get here. Well, we've arrived at Christmas week. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening the week that I release it, man, it's a, a day, two days, three days before Christmas, and here we are. Uh, and when we arrive at Christmas in the biblical story, I want to look at Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. And when we arrive there, the Jews have been waiting a long, long, long time. 2,000 years since Abraham. 1,000 years since David. 600 years since they had been sent into exile and being under foreign oppression, foreign rulers. 300 years of Greek culture. 60 years of Roman occupation. And during a good chunk of this time, particularly the last 400 or so years of all this waiting, heaven's been silent. They had glimmers of hope, like the Maccabean revolt, where they thought, well, maybe, maybe God was on the move, only to have those hopes dashed against the rocks of reality. And it seemed like they had been enduring a dark and long night from which they just couldn't escape, from which no morning would come, and God wasn't acting on their behalf. And yet, there were those passages in the poems and the prophets of old that spoke of a new exodus of a, a, a ruler from Bethlehem whose origins were from days of old and promises of a king sitting on David's throne forever and ever. And so by the time we arrive at Luke 2 and the Christmas story, the, the Jews are in this state of waiting for a long, long time, and they know there's got to be more. In fact, N.T. Wright sums up first century Judaism this way. He says, it was a worldview which was focused on a sense of longing and expectation, of recognition that the present state of affairs had not yet seen all that God had planned for his people. They were waiting for the last chapter of their story to begin. And consequently, first century Palestine waited in great anticipation for God to act. They were expectant. Surely God would deliver his people. Surely God would vindicate them. And then all of a sudden, you begin to get these rumors through the, the foothills of Judea. Uh, the word to a priest named Zechariah in the temple. And when Zechariah emerged from his priestly duties, all of a sudden he can't speak and he's making hand motions. And everyone realizes he had seen a vision. And now rumors begin to trickle through the hills to the little villages and little towns. Maybe God is on the move. And the angelic appearance to this young little maiden named Mary um, in a small little town way up north um, in some forgotten part, an angel appears to Mary. And, and so now word begins to spread about this visit. And something was afoot. Was God on the move? Could it finally be? And we know, indeed, God was on the move, right? Now, Jesus was born. And Angels heralded his arrival, and shepherds came and saw, and wise men from the east brought gifts to him. And an old man in the temple spoke surprising words of blessing over him that really capture up this heart of longing that we've been looking at. The old man's name is Simeon, and his story is told in Luke chapter 2. After the traditional Christmas story, we get this, this little story 
that happens when the baby Jesus is about a month and a half old. Let's pick up in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It's been about a week since Jesus has been born, and Mary and Joseph are following the prescriptions of the Old Testament law, which reminds us that they are Jews, and they are faithful, law-abiding Jews as well. This is what it says, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Now, when eight days were completed, so that it was time for his circumcision, he was also named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so, here we are following the conventions of the Old Testament law that it's now the eighth day, the day for uh, male boys among Jewish law to be circumcised. And God had first commanded Abraham to circumcise every male child in his household on the eighth day, Genesis chapter 17. And then God commanded the same thing of Israel in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3. And so Mary and Joseph take their little weak old baby boy and they circumcise him. And as part of the circumcision ceremony, they officially give him his name, Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua. And the name Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves, Yahweh saves. And this was the name that the angel had told Mary to give her little baby before he was conceived. And so here's baby Jesus being officially named and circumcised as Yeshua, Jesus, God saves. Then verse 22 goes on and says, And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, uh, well, the law required a period of 40 days of purification for the mom after the birth of a son. So seven days before circumcision and then 33 days after the circumcision. And so at this point, um, Jesus is about 40 days old. And during this time period, the mother, this period of waiting for her purification, the mother can't touch uh, anything sacred. She can't go to the temple or the sanctuary, according to Leviticus chapter 12. This is just part of the, uh, the legal proceedings in the Old Testament law for the birth of a child. And so when we say the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, are completed, we're saying it's been 40 days, 40 days since Jesus had been born. When that had happened, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The law, again, required that firstborn animals, male animals, be offered as an offering to the Lord, and firstborn human beings be set apart for the Lord and redeemed by a particular kind of offering. We don't get any discussion of the redemption sacrifice here. Um, what we get is the description of Mary's process for purification um, and the sacrifice that was required of her according to the law. So verse 24 goes on and describes that by saying, And to offer a sacrifice according to what had been stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is from Leviticus chapter 12 verse 8 and refers to the purification offering for Mary as I noted above. And it also indicates that Mary and Joseph belonged to a fairly low economic bracket. They would have been considered among the poorer class. The offering for purification was supposed to be a lamb and a pigeon or a dove for an average family, or two pigeons and two doves if you were poor. And that's what they offer, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. 
In other words, Mary and Joseph are poor. They don't have a whole lot. And so this uh, lets us know the kind of family that uh, God sent his son into. Not just an ordinary family, but a rather poor ordinary family. So Mary and Joseph come to the temple to make their offering. And as they're in the temple, Luke tells us in verse 25, there was a man there in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Best guess is, by this point, he's an old man just by the nature of the way the story unfolds. So picture an, an elderly man uh, there in Jerusalem named Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout and looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Now, as you think back over that phrase, the consolation of Israel, you really need to hear that phrase with everything we've talked about in the last two podcast episodes combined. This man knows the story, and he knows the twists and turns of that story. He knows the promise to Abraham and that God is going to, uh, through the seed of Abraham, he is going to bring his blessing to this cursed world. He knows how that story unfolded with the nation of Israel, how the nation of Israel uh, was unfaithful and in a very real sense recapitulated the sin of Adam and Eve. And so like Adam and Eve was exiled from their land. He knows how they came back and yet they were still under foreign oppression. He's been living under Roman occupation. He knows that there is more for God to do on Israel's behalf. And so while we've been focusing on this macro story of longing and waiting, right, this big overarching story, every faithful and devout Jew like Simeon, they felt it individually deep in their bones. They were looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And that phrase, consolation of Israel, likely stems from Isaiah 40 and refers to the comfort of Israel after her exile when God will restore her fortunes, to use an old prophetic phrase. It includes deliverance from her enemies. It includes forgiveness of her sins. It includes the shalom that would come as a result of God acting on her behalf. And yet now it's been more than 500 years since the exile had ended. And so here's Simeon, and he's waiting and watching and longing and looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Simeon had been praying and seeking and asking, how long, O oh Lord? How long until you act on our behalf? And that's what Luke is communicating by this phrase. He's been looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Well, Luke goes on to tell us that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. Christ is the Greek, Messiah is the Hebrew. And so it's the Lord's anointed. That's what that phrase Christ or Messiah means. That he had been told, you may be getting old, Simeon, but you're not going to die until you've had the chance to actually see the Lord's anointed. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. So the Spirit is prompting him and leading him into the temple at the very moment that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are there for uh, making their offering uh, of purification on Mary's behalf. And so the Spirit led him into the temple. And when the parents uh, brought the child Jesus into the temple to carry out for him the custom of the law, then Simeon took the baby Jesus into his arms. He met Mary and Joseph there in the temple. He saw Mary, he saw Joseph, and somehow the Spirit uh, noted to him, this is the one, this is the one. And so he 
he takes little baby Jesus into his arms and he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Ah, this is a beautiful moment in the story of Scripture. Simeon is steeped in that story. He's steeped, especially in these words, in the prophet Isaiah. And his words here echo Isaiah's promises that God's salvation would be seen by all people, right? He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, echoing the words of Isaiah. And he says that uh, this salvation is going to be a light for the Gentiles. Gentiles are the nations, the non-Jews. So this is going to be a light to the, 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 the non-Jewish nations who desperately need God's truth, God's wisdom, God's light. And this salvation, this little child, is the glory of God's people, Israel. And Luke says that his father and his mother, Mary and Joseph, were amazed at the things that were being said about their little one-month-old baby boy. And of course you would be, right? It's, it's one thing to have somebody see your little baby and say, oh, he's adorable, right? Oh, wow, what a cute little guy, right? That's one thing. But to say, my eyes, O Lord, have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, as he's staring your little baby in the face. Oh, who wouldn't be amazed at the things which were being said about uh, this little baby Jesus? And Simeon, it says, blessed them, blessed Mary and Joseph, and then said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and as a sign to be opposed. Again, echoing Isaiah, Isaiah 8, 14 and 15, and Isaiah 28, 16, where Isaiah says that the Messiah, one, this one that God's going to send, is, is going to be like a, a rock, a stone that makes men stumble, and a rock that makes men fall. And, and for others, it's going to be a firm foundation on which they are going to build. And so you have these two responses to this child. Some are going to rise up and be strengthened and built up on him, and some are going to trip and stumble or even fall to their own demise. And so Simeon blesses them and says, this is going to be the response to your child. And not only that, not only is it just going to be all, all joy and glory, Mary, verse 35, and a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so there's going to be these, this double response in Israel to this little child as he grows. And Mary herself is going to experience pain and anguish. That's the imagery of the sword. A sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. Um, this imagery of there's going to be pain in your heart. Um, my guess is Simeon doesn't know exactly how that's going to play out. He just knows that what the Spirit has told him is this little one, in view of what the prophet Isaiah has said, there's going to be pain for you to endure as you watch this little one go through his story, his journey, Mary. And so here at this point in Luke chapter 2, in this great moment, we arrive, right? We began this, this series with the classic Christmas, Christmas carol from uh, John and Charles Wesley, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. 
And it has been a long journey, 2,000 years since God first promised to Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through his offspring. 1,000 years since God had told David there'd be one of his descendants on the throne over God's people forever. 500 years since the exile had ended through many dark and difficult days, and yet now we arrive. Simeon finally sees the promise fulfilled in this one-month-old little baby boy. God had been faithful. God had kept not only his specific promise to Simeon, but his promises to his people made over the centuries through prophets and poets alike. He had sovereignly orchestrated this moment to fulfill his word to Abraham. The long wait is over. And yet, the fulfillment comes with an unexpected and yet, and yet. God didn't do it the way they expected. God didn't remove all the curse of sin and death like they expected. Sin, death, sickness still remain even after this little baby boy grew up and took his throne as the Messiah. Oppression, poverty, war, injustice continued to run rampant. For Simeon and all the other devout Jews of his day, Hope was realized in Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, the story hasn't ended, has it? Their hopes and longings were only partially fulfilled, right? Uh, there is more to say. God will have more to do. There's another chapter yet to be written. And so we find ourselves 2,000 years removed from the birth of this little one, from Simeon's beautiful, great words there in the temple were the same distance from Jesus that Jesus was from Abraham. 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years from us back to Jesus. And here we are still waiting, still waiting for all of those promises to finally be fulfilled, right? Like sin, death, disease, injustice, poverty, and everything that still ruins God's good creation is still here in this world. And yet, and yet, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that new creation has begun. We can look back and we can see what God has done. And at the same time, we still look forward, waiting for the final chapter to unfold, for the grand climax of the story to arrive. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 8. He writes, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself someday will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So someday what Paul is saying is there's going to be this grand glorious day when God's children are fully revealed in complete and full glory. And when that happens, creation itself is going to experience liberation from the, this curse that is laid up on it. And it's looking forward to that day with eager anticipation. And then he goes on in verse 22 and says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, 
but we ourselves also having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. And that's where we live. At the present time, we live in what I like to call the overlaps of the times. The old, broken, going away, passing away, deteriorating creation is overlapped with the new, uh, breaking into the here and now creation that is going to eventually give way to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We live between this time period when the Messiah has come, the Spirit's been poured out, but everything hasn't been worked out fully and completely yet. And so we are saved in hope. And if we're saved in hope with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Like little kids on tiptoe looking out the window Maybe hoping that today is is Christmas. Maybe it's the day that it arrives. Maybe it's the day that Santa's going to come, right? I, I don't know what you tell your kids, but this anticipation of eagerly on tiptoe waiting for some big moment to come, that's where we live as God's people today. That we live in the present with sufferings and heartache and all, with this grand glorious hope of knowing that new creation is already here, has already broken into the the here and now. And so with the the martyrs under the altar that John sees in Revelation chapter 6, we say too, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging the earth and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? This is the martyrs under the altar praying that God would bring justice to the world. And we too pray that same prayer, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you make all things new, until you fulfill all your grand promises and the world is made right again. And we look forward to that day with great anticipation. And so the story of Scripture finds its grand climax in the coming of Jesus the Messiah, this little tiny one that we celebrate this week at Christmas. We celebrate his arrival. And yet we know there's more to the story to come. And so we are saved in hope, and we eagerly wait for the day when God makes all things new. Hey, I pray that you have a blessed Christmas celebration. I pray that you will fix your gaze at some point during all the craziness that the holidays can bring, that you will fix your gaze on Jesus, and you will sit and maybe even just contemplate this story. Contemplate the words of Simeon here in Luke chapter 2, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people the light of revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. May you revel in the fact that God, though it took a long time, God fulfilled his word to Abraham. And may you know that he will fulfill his word to us as well. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas. I look forward to talking with you next year.